Your first eight guys maybe should be blue plate specials, but those back five guys, they should be more like tin hats, more guys that are grunt players, garbage players that dive for the ball. You are listening to the Scrambled Eggs Podcast on CrackedSidewalks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scrambled Eggs, your unofficial Marquette basketball podcast here on CrackedSidewalks.com. Joe McCann and Phil Bush here with you, and we are not going to talk about football unless you really want to, Phil. No, I, no, I, um, I, I'm good if we don't talk about it. I'm fine with what happened Saturday night. Quite frankly, what happened Sunday night as well. But um, you know, let's focus on the basketball because it was pretty yeah, good. We'll, week. We, yeah, we'll 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 talk about the hoops. We'll focus on the hoops today. Really great week for the Marquette Golden Eagles. Two wins last week. We're going to talk about those two wins. What went well? Is it uh, things turn around a little bit? Is maybe perhaps Marquette's luck changing? And we will talk about Phil's article that he wrote on CrackSidewalks.com last week. If you missed that, uh, we won't go through the whole thing because it was quite an article, Phil. Boy, yeah, you just put, you just put some time into that one. I, it, you know, when the words just flow out and you're not used to writing articles, brevity is not a thing I possess. Yeah, the good news is it's not like you uh, got to pay by the word. You know, just put yeah, it all that's in there. True. People can read what they want. Right. All right, so uh, as you all know by now, I am sure, your Marquette Golden Eagles went 2-0 last week with a win on Monday against Villanova, 87-74. Looked really good in that one. And then a heart-stopping win on Saturday against St. John's. Uh, got off to a rough start, but heck of a second half and a, boy, a real blood pressure <laughs> test of a finish against <laughs> it the was, It but, was a roller coaster of emotions, that game. Yeah. It, it was, but uh, I, I think I'll just really start at the beginning of the week, Phil. And if you're, you want, or we could also just go broad picture. But um, I, I'll start the the win over a Villanova team that's kind of been on the verge of being ranked, sometimes ranked, sometimes not. A team that's been in the top half of the league that uh, looked pretty strong, that has looked strong at times. Uh, that certainly got the week off to a good start, and that. Um, that game, more than anything else, was a kind of a get-right game for Tyler Kolick. 21 points, 11 assists. Uh, he finally got a three-pointer to fall towards the end of that game where it looked like he just breathed a huge sigh of relief. I think that was the main takeaway uh, from the Villanova game was uh, while Tyler Kolick's shot may not be all the way back, his confidence really has not been wavering, and that was encouraging to see. I just kind of want to start there. And your thoughts on Kolick's game? Uh, against Villanova. Well, I, I think this was a, a great game overall for just getting mentally right, both for Tyler and for the rest of the team. Um, you know, they kind of got their mojo back a little bit. Now, now three-point shots weren't, you know, falling in droves, but they shot 70, 75% from at the rim. And, and that was probably the most impressive part for me was Tyler, you know, was still attacking the basket, getting to the rim, um, you know, scored scored twelve points uh, from from at the rim, and and then you know obviously hit that uh, that three pointer and and got six free throws. So having him willing and able to do all the things he needs to do, I think is a big need for this team because you know it, it's probably true of most teams, but the big three for Marquette: Cam Jones, Tyler Kolick, Oso Iguodaro, they have got to be got to be right for this team to be good we've we've you know with the injuries sustained we we've lost any margin for error so so seeing tyler kind of come back to himself after a couple of rough games i think was a, probably the most positive takeaway from that game 
Yeah, I think overall you kind of touched on it there. It was a big three game. It was the the three guys who were preseason all Big East players. Um, 21 for Tyler, 22 for Cam. Uh, he was 8 of 8 from two-point. He is 2 of 4 from three. And then Oso was 9 of 11 uh, from the field. He had 18 points and seven rebounds. So those three really led the way against Villanova. And, uh, I mean, the game, it, it, had, it was back and forth a little bit. I mean, Marquette was only up three at the half, but Marquette really kind of pulled away as Tyler kind of find his, found his groove there uh, as they got into the second half. But I think... Uh, if I look big picture for the week, Phil, I think two big takeaways for me, and we could start where you like, but number one, I, I the more minutes has been uh, productive for Zade Lowry, for sure. Trey Norman's getting there, but Zade Lowry has been a revelation off the bench. Now, now I'm not like, trying to put him like in a top tier or anything, but uh, it was refreshing to see him play with confidence, contribute defensively. He hit a few threes. He was two of three in the Nova game, and he was one of three uh, in the St. John's game. So uh, maybe he is a 3 and D guy uh, for this team, and that's that's more than enough, really, than what they would need from the freshman. Right, right. And, and I mean, I think the big thing is he's – He's stepping into that chase role, you know, kind of, and and really he's taking on the chase as a freshman role. Um, so I, I think that's been really key is that, you know, we really wondered with, with Sean Jones and, and Chase Ross unavailable, um, you know, where was, where were those minutes going to go or, or come from? And I think Zade, Zade has done enough to say hey you know send minutes my way because he is he's outstanding defensively both on the ball and within the team concept you know and and I don't know that I had any opinion one way or another whether he was a three-point shooter you know coming into the season um but he he has proven competent enough on the offensive end and and hit a couple of key threes in that Villanova game um that there that there's lots of reason to keep him, you know, on the court for extended stretches, yep. right? He's he's not going to be a 30 minute a, a game guy, but you know, play him 5 6 minutes and 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 he'll produce. Yeah, he played 13 against Nova and 16 mm-hmm. against St. John's. I mean, th- those are uh, rotation player minutes. I mean, th- th- those are good minutes. And yeah, to your point, he um, it is a small sample size, just five of 13 on the year from three, but that's 38%. That's certainly enough that other teams have to respect him. That's enough that you want him to keep shooting when he has open looks. So a uh, very encouraging week uh, from Zade. And the other thing I did kind of want to touch on as far as big picture things from the week was, yeah, the three-point shooting still isn't there, right? It's not right. great. Obviously, they started 0 for 10. Uh, against St. John's, and that caused a lot of angst among the fan base, especially yours truly. Uh, <laughs> some people did like what I was saying on Twitter, but it was true. If you're not going to be able to make any jump shots, it's going to be really hard to win games. But they turned around the second half after an 0-10 for 10 start, 6-10 for 10 in the second half, so they were 30% from the game. They were 30%, uh, just over, yeah, 30.4% in the Villanova game, so right around 30% as a team. Not great. But the thing that I loved was they are still very confident getting two-point baskets. And, like, the struggles from three have not really affected too much, at least not this past week, their ability to get into the lane and get two-point buckets, which really overall was the reason they won two games this week. Yeah, well, and I I was really confused. I would like somebody to explain to me why the St. John's court – for I know it's MSG, right, which is where the Knicks play, but St. John's has their own specific court. Why do they have an NBA three line on on the St. John's court? 
like they're not playing NBA games on the St. John's court. Yeah, I, I guess my you know, granted, I'm not a person who puts courts together, but it's possible that they only take up. Is it possible they only take up parts of the court and not the old, the entire court? They just take up the parts that have logos on them. Ah. Uh. I, I guess that's that's a possibility, I suppose. But Some court engineer can yeah. DM me on that. Yes. Tell you, yeah, this is how we put courts together. But no, I, I yeah, I agree. but I get what you're saying. If it's a college court and only college teams play on it, I don't know why you need the NBA line. Right, which, I mean, especially in that first half where they went 0 for 11, um, they, they definitely were shooting behind the NBA line, which I think we saw in Honolulu as well. Like, there was an NBA line in Maui as well. So, I, I mean, I don't want to be like, Another oh. place where I'm sure, not sure why they would, especially where they, not sure why they would have an NBA three-point line in Honolulu unless NBA teams play exhibition games there. Right, right, exactly. So, it's it's all it's all very confusing. But, yeah, it, I, I mean, the first half of the game, um, to only be down six against St. John's w- when they went literally 0 for 11. And, and there's argument that, you know, some of the shots were not good three-point shots, and I get that. Um, but, you know, the, the, it, it's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a conundrum just from a mental standpoint, right? Because definitely for for the last five, six games, three-point shooting has been a struggle. Um, you know, the yeah. big one I would point Putting it lightly. Yeah, I mean, for the, for God's sakes, the Butler game, they got a bunch of unguarded threes and shot 16% um, from three. So, you know, I don't know that, that Villanova or um, St. John's results kind of says, oh, hey, the three-point shooting is fixed. Um, it's not rock bottom anymore, but I don't think it's necessarily fixed. I mean, maybe when you go you know, whatever it was, six of eight or six of nine from the second half against St. John's. Maybe maybe it's one of these we can build on it. But um, it's it's just interesting that for a team um, that's kind of got a lot of experience and they're focused on culture, that they are putting themselves in high-stress position and seeming to, to not be successful all the time in those high-stress positions, right? Whether it's it's shooting unguarded threes and, and not hitting them, resulting in, in some non, non-good results, or, you know, the free throws at the end of that, that, uh, um, of that St. John's game. If, if you had told me that we would have the opportunity for nine free throws. Now, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of fuzzy math because David Joplin was a one-and-one and, one and um, somebody else had an opportunity at a one-and-one one late in that game. Tyler. Yeah, Tyler. And and so they, you know, yeah, you're right. Tyler was the other one-and-one. One. So it would have been, I'm, I got to re- redo the math. It would have been six free throws um, if you count the one-and-ones. And the fact that we didn't get any any of those free throws at the end of the game, I would have been convinced we lost. We won anyway, yeah. but it, it, it just seems like, you know, we're finding ways to really challenge ourselves this season. Yeah, it was a little unnecessary heartburn, those free throws. I'm just going to hope just shake that off as a fluke and say, all right, hopefully that never happens again. It's just a weird thing. But, you know, the three-point shooting has kind of been – trending down all season. I mean, they're da- they're now at 31.5% as a team. That ranks them 262nd in the country. Um, not good, especially when your offense is dunks and threes. But now that two-point percentage is great. We've talked about that a lot. They're in the top 15 in the country in that mm-hmm. statistic, 57.3% from two-point range. But I got to say, I-, I do admire them trusting the process because I'm not sure I could do it. But 
they keep shooting because there's only, that's really the only way to come out of that. And I, I said that on Saturday as well. It's like as bad as it's been, they have to keep shooting because it's going to go one of two ways. Either they're going to start making them and claw back in this thing or you know, it's going to get worse and St. John's going to pull away and blow them out because they were just not going to win that game shooting all twos all day and never shooting a three. So I admire the commitment to the process, and it worked out on Saturday, and I hope it continues to work out. Now, I, I don't know if this team's ever going to get to an elite number as far as the overall number for the season, but if, like, say, from this point onward, they could just be, you know, a 35% three-point shooting team, that could do a lot of damage in these last 13 Big East games because, I mean, there's a long way to go here. And um, I... I don't know when it's going to come, but it, but it's going to happen. At some point this year, Marquette is going to have one of those games where they just don't miss, right? It's yeah. going to be one of those games where, like, they, they you know, they home, like, 14, 15 three-pointers. and like, wow, this this is awesome. Now, it's not going to happen every night, but I guarantee there's going to be a game. I don't know when it's going to happen, but that's coming, too. Right. Well, and, it, I mean, you know, I don't know. I think I think to your point, we may have to, and I, and I don't understand it, right? Maybe... Physically, you know, physically their shots are changing. You know, maybe they're doing something mechanically wrong. Um, but it's it's hard to believe for me to believe that the as a team, um, you know, because we've been, we've had Tyler, David Joplin, and Cam Jones shooting the most threes over the last uh, I don't know over the last five or six games. Um, it, it's hard for me to believe that, that the team has eroded from a three-point shooting, like, just mechanism enough um, that, they're, that they're not able to, you know, kind of hit these. But having said that, like, I don't think – I think you're right. I think there's going to be a game where we just shoot lights out, can't miss. Everybody's feeling the vibes, and it feels great. Hopefully that's against a team like UConn or somebody like that. But – I, I think the other piece of it is, though, we may have a big game or two where we can't miss. Um, but I also think, you know, maybe this team doesn't finish at, you know, 31%, but I don't know that they're going to get much above 32 or 33%, right? Like this. Yeah, just because, I mean, you got. Yeah, you got 18 games in the bag now. So, I mean, you got more. You got fewer games ahead than you have behind you. Mm hmm. Right. So I don't think there's a big positive regression to the mean, right? Like, it's not like, hey, we're going to get to 35% shooting on the season overall, meaning we basically shoot 40% just about the rest of the way. Like, that's not going to happen. We might come up a percentage point or two, and we might have some games where we hit, you know, 34 to 38%, you know, across the, uh, you know, across some, uh, a fair amount of games. But it's not going to be the. I guess what I'm saying is it's not going to be the three the three point shot that's going to bail us out. Um, we're going to have to be able to hit some to stay in games. Um, but you know, especially with Villanova and St. John's, what won those games was you know our ability to get into the lane, get to the rim, and make buckets. I, the first half, literally, the first half of the St. John's game, we literally had a hundred percent of our points coming in the paint. We didn't hit any free throws. We didn't hit any three-point shots. So, you know, if you're going to hit 75 to 65% of your two-point shots, that can make up a, a fairly fairly significant delta in terms of when the three's not dropping. Yeah. And this was part of your, uh, like, article about Phil about Marquette 
has had a stretch of some bad luck, and that just may be part of what it is as far as the, the three-point shooting is just maybe just going some stretches where guys don't make them, and there's hopefully going to be a regression to the mean coming up, hopefully, in the next 13 games. Yeah, I, I hopefully. But, I, I mean, the big takeaway is from a process standpoint, like, like you kind of said, is, you know, Marquette wants to get shots at the rim and they want to get unguarded threes. By and large, over the entire season, Marquette has been able to generate those looks. What what has happened in the last seven to ten games is they hadn't been hitting them. Now Villanova and St. John's game, obviously, they started hitting them. Um, but you know, the, all the across the ten scan, ten game scan span since the beginning of December. You know, Marquette just wasn't hitting shots. You know, the the real extreme example is the Butler game. Marquette had 70% of their shots come from at the rim and unguarded threes, meaning not anyone close to you when you you jack that three up. They shot 16% on unguarded threes and 40% on shots at the rim. And, And so that's why Marquette lost to Butler. But what that says is if they were at all quote-unquote, more lucky, they they could have won that game double digits against Butler, right? And we, we've seen that consistently. So, you know, I think the thing that the St. John's and, and Villanova game really did is, is confirm, look, keep doing what they're doing and just start making the shots, right? Like, whether it's it's getting to the rim or, or not playing to get fouls called, because I think that's one thing, and I, I'm curious on your opinion on this, like this team gets to the rim, you know, 50, 60, 70% of the time, but they're, they have pretty low, you know, f- foul rate, right? In terms of teams fouling them. I don't think it's like bad officiating, but I also think it's kind of inexplicable how, how much Marquette gets to the rim without getting fouls. And, and so th- it's not like that's going to come to the rescue, right? Yeah, that is a really good point. It was really kind of jarring in the uh, St. John's game. Like, they were getting so many uh, two-point buckets, and you got to late in the second half, and they'd only attempted, like, at that point, like four or five free throws. Right. And I'm just wondering how that happens. Because, uh, I mean, are, you know, like, are Cam and Tyler just so smooth with it, just at the rim, that they just don't get touched? Are people just – are the referees just missing it? And, again, to your point – Repeating your point, it, I don't think it's necessarily terrible officiating that there's any kind of bias. It's just logically, I, I can't explain it because yeah, when you are at the rim that much, you would think there's going to be contact if they're calling it the same on both ends, and you would think Marquette should get a few more free throws out of that. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just like I said. Maybe it's just the way they get shots out the rim because you know a lot of their two point basket they. They do have lobs to Oso where he's just running right at the rim with nobody on him, so obviously there's no foul there. But, um, yeah, just the way the way Tyler and Cam especially have a way of just, like, floating around the defender at the basket and getting that English off the glass that they don't get, like, the respect that a player like that would get, especially Tyler, the reigning Big East player of the year. Um, you, you would expect him to get, the respect to the officials a little bit, right? If right. people are putting hands on him when he's getting layups. So I don't have a good explanation there, but I think it's a good point you, point you make. Yeah. And, and you know, and again, I, I don't want this to kind of come across as like somehow I'm 
I'm complaining about the officiating because I'm not. Because, because again, you know, it, I don't ascribe anything with officials, um, you know, to intent or malice that I can ascribe to just straight up, you know, incompetence and 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 or that you know the game moves fast and and it's hard to get things right all of the time. It just, you know, I'd love for somebody to be able to articulate or explain what is it Marquette does that that does not result in fouls because you know i would say not that this is an articulate you know not that this is you know a reason to call fouls but i would say on our drives our players are hitting the deck just as much as other teams players are right which you know if you use that as a proxy for physical contact well okay you know then there, there should be roughly um, the same amount of con or the same number of fouls called, but Marquette's solidly in the middle of of Division One in terms of free throw rate. You know they they they're just you you know they just do not get fouls called for them. Um, oh well, actually actually I take that I was looking at the wrong stat. They're really low in terms of the amount of free throws they generate. If you look at the four factors about 26.7% of their um of their offense comes from three throws which is good for like 327th in the country so again they don't generate a lot of free throws so teams aren't generally in a lot of foul trouble you know Marquette aren't getting free points um so it, it's just an interesting element of um of 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 the team or whatever but you know the other yeah, thing and i'm not sure what you do about it either like i i don't think you want to change anything as far as the way you get to the basket you're just it's you're just crossing your fingers and hoping those whistles come for you right 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 exactly one well, and the other thing just as a random commentary uh i hope we will will in uh before wednesday we will remove the play where we foul a three-point shooter um from the play well, that is happening a lot man like I don't have a number on it, but it just seems like... I guess it's because once seems like way too much in a game. Right. right? If it happens once, it makes you throw your hands up in the air. And I feel like it happens almost every game, at least once. I mean, I mean I, granted, it's we're hyper-vigilant to it because there's been a couple of games where it's happened multiple times. And like you said, more than once is, is way too many. Um, but yeah, it just seems like, you know, for the last nine or ten games... There is at least one foul on a three-point shooter. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they make that three-point shot. Sometimes they don't. But, but either way, um, you know, either way, it's not good, right? Like, and Cam seems to be the one at fault most of the time. Like, I don't know. I don't know who needs to talk to Cam and be like, "Hey, if it's a three-point shooter, can can you just not? Can you can you not do that? Um, be, because yeah, I, I'd like to have less of that in my life." Hopefully that stops. Hopefully that stops. So, but uh, any other like big picture takeaways from the two wins last week, Phil? Obviously, it's nice to kind of keep pace in the Big East. Uh, right now, I'm not sure anybody's catching UConn at the moment. Last time I said that, they had a major injury and lost the game, so we'll see what happens there. But um, UConn, for the moment, is firmly in control of the league at seven and one. Seton Hall is six and two. Creighton five and three. Marquette four and three. Villanova four and three. As is Xavier. So you're keeping pace, but I, I think if you want to talk Big East Championship, you're going to need some help there. Because even if, hypothetically, Marquette wins out with two wins over Connecticut, again, just throwing hy pure hypothetical, that's at best a tie. So uh, not really thinking too much about Big East title 
at the moment, but you're at least keeping pace to be near the top of the league to be in a position should um, some of the teams ahead of you fall. But any other big takeaways as far as what you saw from the team last week to get those two wins to kind of keep pace with everyone else? I mean, the only big takeaway is, is and I don't know that it's that big a takeaway, but I, I mean, Oso Iguodaro the last couple of games, you know, we talked about the big three for Villanova. But, like, he is just playing kind of otherworldly right now, right? I mean, he's shooting 80%, you know, 75% from two, getting rebounds, playing tough defense, switching a ton, right? Like, Marquette's defense has essentially gone to to five men out, right? Everybody's switching. Um, Oso ends up on the perimeter. I mean, I, I, I think... You know, I, I don't want people talking about him more because then, you know, maybe his draft stock goes up and people go out. But I, I think we need to have a little bit of a conversation of, like, Oso Iguodaro, like, once in a life, once in a generation kind of kind of talent at Marquette. Like, he, there's just not anyone like him. And he's been playing so well that, like, it, it's just seemingly gone unnoticed. Yeah, he's he's been terrific. And he is playing like a guy who should be in the NBA next year. Um, he's versatile. He can handle the ball. He's improving as a rebounder. He's so efficient around the rim. Doesn't have any uh, range, but he hasn't needed it in college. I'm sure if uh, NBA teams would like to see that at some point, but I'm not sure if that's coming at the college level. But everything else he does, so he's an excellent passing big man. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's just so indispensable right now, and he's just such a key part of everything Marquette does. And I think in some of the losses earlier this season, one of the common themes was the other team being able to take him out of it and him having some rough games. Mm -hmm. Like he had a rough one against Providence. He had a rough one against Wisconsin. But, I mean, when he's locked in, man, he's just such a a nice safety net to have near the rim. Um, Just to take the – just to – go up and get those lobs and throw them down or you know he's got excellent post moves that he, and he's so good with the ball that he can dribble around a lot of other big mans and look big men and look make them look silly yeah he's playing great uh he is certainly in the discussion as a first team all big east player to me right now um I would say big picture at the moment, I might put him ahead of Tyler in that regard as far as if Marquette's going to have an all-Big East player. I think just Oso has just been so consistent. Um, Tyler, I think, could get there too, but uh, he, he Oso certainly looks like a all-Big East guy right now. I, not sure who's going to win the player of the year. I've got to think it's going to be someone at UConn, probably Klingon. Um, but Or Tristan Newton, I mean. Tristan Newton's probably leading the way, but Klingon's going to be in the mix too. But, yeah, Oso's been awesome. Yeah, and and he's been playing, you know, max minutes. I mean, that that's the other thing is is Oso and and Tyler to a certain extent, or to Tyler as well, have been, you know, kind of now as the rotation is shortened up a little bit, have been going max minutes. I mean, both played thirty eight minutes against Villanova, and uh, and Tyler played thirty nine and Oso thirty six against St. John's right now. Hopefully that's sustainable, but it's it's basically like Shaka is saying, hey, I'll, I'll steal a couple of minutes here and there to get breaks, but Tyler and Oso aren't coming out. And then I, I've got a rotation of Stevie, David, Cam, um, Ben, and, and probably Zade. Those, those are, you know, we're basically rotating five for three positions with an occasional break for Tyler and Oso. And, and I think it can work, right? Like that can... 
that can be a great strategy as long as Oso and Tyler don't get burned out here until we get Chase Ross back, you know, sometime, I think, in February. Which, by the way, if people didn't notice, a bit of a tangent, uh, Chase Ross was sitting on Marquette's bench in the St. John's game without a sling on, which is a very encouraging sign. I don't, I don't think he'll be back in the next couple of weeks, but, you know, now that he's without that sling, that says, hey, he's making good progress. He will likely um, be back sooner than later. Yeah, I, I am very hopeful that we will see Chase again this season, hopefully sometime, I don't know, mid-February, but we'll see. Uh, we haven't heard any official updates there, but that is a good point as far as not having the sling. Um, but, uh, yeah, I agree with I mean, everything else you said as far as it, it, I'm concerned. There is, I don't know if concern is what I would say about it, but curious how sustainable it is playing your starters 36-plus minutes, mm-hmm. um, especially if, maybe if you have a stretch where there's, you know, two games in four days or something like that or you know short turnaround or whatever on the road that could be challenging excuse me that could be challenging but yeah hopefully the freshmen continue to come along and there's more minutes for them trade never really got going against the against st john's just because he had those two quick fouls and went right to the bench and we really never saw him again right but um hopefully they'll uh shaka will continue to find ways to get rest for his starters but again he's not going too deep on that bench because he can can't doesn't have many options right well and and i guess that's the question like let's assume chase ross comes back to um to full health here you know like say mid-february something like that um you know sean's obviously not coming back he's out with out for the season he had surgery um this past week and and hopefully went well and he's and he's starting to mend um i will say sean listen to your physical therapist it it pays off um but, you know, once we get Chase back, you know, the rotations can, you know, you can maybe reduce those minutes. I still do, I still don't know that Tyler and Oso are, you know, that we have replacements for them. Tyler probably more so than Oso, right? We don't, well, we have other folks that can bring up the ball and can start the offense and do that sort of stuff. You know, from a traditional point guard sense, I'm not really worried about it. But Tyler has such a unique talent and and skill set um, that that is not replaceable, right? So you can't have Tyler off the court for extended periods of time, and you certainly can't have Oso off the court for extended periods of right. times, just simply from a size um, and and what they bring to the offense standpoint. So we'll get Chase back, which will be good. That'll add some depth. But I, I mean. We're talking about Oso and Tyler probably going like from 38 minutes a game to like 36 minutes a game or something like that, right? It's not going to be ridiculous. Yeah, probably not a huge drop off. I mean, they're going to play as much as they possibly can. You just got to, you know, time their rest, hopefully around those TV timeouts. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you take them out at like, you know, like the nine minute mark, you sit them down through the eight minute timeout, then you bring them back on with like seven minutes. But, it, you know, he's sat like in that stretch like five ten minutes of real time right and you know just to maximize the rest there but yeah like there are other guys who can handle the ball um so like you can give tyler a rest there but again what tyler brings overall there's no one quite like him and obviously there's no one like Oso. um i mean ben is a suitable backup five uh and he has certainly improved a lot this year as far as his effort on the glass and effort defensively but he's still not 
Oso. I mean, he right. can't handle the ball like that. I mean, he's not the elite passer that Oso is. He just doesn't have the experience, but um, he, he's certainly valuable to have because he can spell Oso for pretty good stretches and play with Oso as well, as we've seen quite a bit this year. So, But, yeah, I agree with what you say. Is the, the Stars are going to play a ton, and it's, they're just going to have to gut it out and – Hopefully it is sustainable and this team does not run out of gas as we get into late February. Yeah, well, and I mean, if you think about it, so per Ken Palm, Marquette has played the fourth toughest schedule in the country, which, I mean, yeah, we're probably a a loss or two ahead of where I thought we would be. But, I mean, all things considered equal, doing this against the fourth fourth best schedule in the country, you know, I'm not mad about it now. We've we've yeah. taken some losses. Or right, go ahead. No, I just said I agree. I, I, there are probably only like maybe two losses below where we picked at this point. Right now, having said that, you know we probably took a couple of losses that we, you know Seton Hall and certainly Butler. You know those. I, not that they'll come back to haunt us, right? But like if we wanted to make a serious a serious run at repeating, given you know given what the schedule's been tough to date, but. We play one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more games out of our, um, you know, out of our uh, 13 remaining are against Ken Palm top 50 teams, right? We play at Villanova, who's 30. We play home against St. John's, who's 41. We play at Connecticut and home for Connecticut, who's sixth. We play home and away for Xavier, who is... 35th and then we play at Creighton like the schedule's not like lightening up here over the the next 13 games right yes we get to play DePaul twice and yes we get to play Georgetown on the road one more time but it's not like the schedule is going to get easy um you know they're gonna have to find ways to win anyway um steal rest when they can but this is we are very much now in kind of the grind section of the schedule. Yeah, I, the the end looks really daunting, especially, because yep. after that second game with DePaul, you've got home Xavier, home Providence, at Creighton, home Connecticut, at Xavier. Um, and Well, actually, you even back up more. I mean, before DePaul, you have the road game against Connecticut. So at Connecticut, DePaul, but then Xavier, Providence, Creighton, Connecticut, Xavier. Right. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's cliche, but you know, it is what it is. It's no nights off in the Big East, and they're just going to have to battle through it and see where they can finish. And I still, am, I'm, I'm hopeful they can finish in the top three once we get to the end of the road here. But it's going to be a lot more challenging than we thought at the end of the year, just because they have to deal with some injuries over the next few weeks. Again, like you said, hopefully getting Chase back sometime in February, which would help for the backstretch there. But yeah, still, uh, still a lot of tough games ahead. But hopefully this Wednesday is not one of them, Phil. Um, a uh, road game that will probably feel like a semi-home against DePaul on Wednesday. D- did you want to touch on anything else from the last? No, no. I, th- I think we're I think we're ready to talk about uh, DePaul. Like let's uh, let's let's see what that looks like. Yeah, um, I don't know how much time I want to spend on it, Phil. And again, I know you got to respect your opponents and focus and yada yada. But this DePaul team is bad even by DePaul standards. Right. They are. 3-15 and 15 on the year. Their only wins are South Dakota, who is 317 at Ken Palm, Louisville, who is 194. I think everyone knows what a mess Louisville is. And Chicago State, 294 at Ken Palm. 
DePaul itself is 279 at Ken Palm. To give you the idea of the company DePaul keeps at 279 on Ken Palm, here are the 10 teams ranked ahead of DePaul on Ken Palm. Portland State, Utah Tech, Nickel State, Cal State Bakersfield, Northern Illinois, Little Rock, Texas Southern, Ball State, North Dakota, Western Michigan. Yeah. That's not a who's who of college basketball, my friends. Um, and again, you got to respect your opponents. you got to focus. You don't want to go 0 for 15 from 3. But my goodness, this DePaul team is bad, Phil. I, I, I can't really sugarcoat it beyond that. I mean, they all of their numbers are blood red on Ken Palm. They are very, they're ranked, you know, in the bottom third of the country on offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, effective field goal percentages, turning the ball over, offensive rebounding, three-point defense, two-point, there's just a lot of red, Phil, and there's, uh, as I've called some games before, this is a no-excuses game. There's nothing that could make me accept a loss in this game, right? Right. I mean, they should blow out to... I mean, they should blow out DePaul. I mean, don't lose to DePaul was a, a joke on the podcast in the for a while there, but I think I, we've kind of semi-retired that. Uh, just win this game. It it, they, it should be it should be a comfortable win for Marquette. They are project, projected to win by seventeen on the road. Yeah. Come well, on just just to put that even in further perspective, for anyone that remembers Georgetown last year, which. Georgetown last year was atrocious, right? They won two games in all of the league, and one of them was by by beating a bad DePaul team then um, and then beating a pretty bad Butler team. So Georgetown won all of two games. Georgetown was ranked 219 um, in Ken Palm last year. DePaul is currently 279. So, you know, Stubberfield saw what uh, uh, what Patrick Ewing did with DePaul last year and went, eh, hold my beer. I'll be worse. And and so, yes, like, I don't know what there is even to talk about with DePaul. Um, Marquette should just beat the drum or the brakes right off of out of off DePaul. Right. Like, yeah, it's you want to talk about limiting some minutes? You want to talk about yes. limiting minutes for the big yes. guys? I mean, this this should be a chance to do it. I mean, this again. I know you got to respect your opponents and knock on wood, it goes the way it's supposed to. But if Marquette handles its business and plays the way it is, I wouldn't. I'm not, I wouldn't even say the way it's supposed to play. Even if it plays at a, you know, eighty percent of the way it's supposed to play, like just right. at a respectable level, it doesn't have to be at an elite level. Uh, they should win this game comfortably, and you should be able to have extended minutes for Ben Gold and Zade Lowry and Trey Norman, and maybe get some Al Amadou in there in the second half. That should be the way this game goes. Um, so I, I fully expect Marquette to, and, and again, it's yeah, it is a road game. But as we know, um, any uh, Marquette fans who live in the greater Chicago area and always go to this game, you are on DePaul's email season ticket list because you always buy tickets to this game, and uh, there will be a lot of gold in that arena. I expect. Yeah, uh, yeah. I expect how, 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 like, how many Marquette fans, like percentage-wise, of the crowd at this game, how many are Marquette fans? Gosh. Is it crazy to say like sixty percent? I I actually think I that was the first number that pumped into my head, but I actually think it's going to be more than that, and here's why: Who from what DePaul fans are going to this game? Yeah, other than the students who have maybe nothing else to do that night. Um, uh, even then, I mean, you're uh, looking at a three and fifteen team that's zero and seven in the league. Their closest right. game now they their closest game was against Georgetown. But their closest game beyond that was, I guess, last Saturday, this past Saturday against Butler. They lost by 14. 
I mean, they've had some Yikes. lopsided losses. I mean, I mean they, uh, yeah, I mean they, I mean they blew. I mean they lost to Connecticut by almost thirty points. I mean they lost to Villanova by twenty-five points. They lost <laughs> Providence by thirty-eight points. Goodness gracious, folks! Marquette should win this one easily. Yeah, I'm not even like afraid of jinxes or right. whatever. Marquette like, should win this one easily. I, I'm I'm startled that Marquette fan base, sir. <laughs> I'm I'm startled that Ken Palm thinks there's a five percent five percent chance that that DePaul could win. Like that yeah. that seems crazy to me. I I guess because it's a home game for them. I guess that makes the difference. But like, holy cats! Like this should like this should be something where Marquette's up comfortably in the first. You know, and and if if I'm Marquette, I don't want to get any psychology into my head. Like. I'm not saying do not shoot a three-point shot, but Marquette should be able to get to the rim at will. Just attack the rim, get buckets, build a lead, and then you can work on some three-point shooting if you want, right? Like, just don't screw around. Just go right at them because there force is... Those, force those turnovers on offense. I mean, force yeah. those turnovers on defense. Turn them over quickly because uh, they, they kick it around quite a bit as a team. Yeah. Marquette should win easily, so not gonna. I'm just gonna leave it at that. So hopefully Marquette takes care of business in front of many, many fans wearing blue and gold on Wednesday. By the way, uh, if you look ahead to the rematch in Milwaukee, they got that as a 99% chance Marquette wins. Right. Right. So if you're looking for the home field, so home so home field home field advantage gives you four percent on Ken Palm apparently. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. There you go. All right. So then the uh, real big one of the week. This will be Saturday, January 27th, noon game against Seton Hall. The rematch with uh, the Pirates, who, of course, beat Marquette in the first game in Newark. Uh, frustrating game, uh, especially because that was the game when Chase Ross was lost to an injury. Uh, obviously, there will be no Chase Ross in this game either. But um, I, I just keeping it simple, Phil, I'm just hoping the home court maybe flips the score a little bit and Marquette can grind out a tough win against Seton Hall who just, you know, in the first matchup, injury aside, give them credit. They defended Marquette incredibly well um, in that game. They were, I think they were really frustrating. Um, and uh, yeah, again, losing Chase there was kind of a gut punch there that kind of, I think kind of lingered in the second half. But um, how do you feel about the rematch with Seton Hall? Um, you know, generally speaking, I feel pretty good because I feel like Marquette could and should have won that that game on the road at Seton Hall. I, I do think the the Chase Ross injury, you know, especially, you know, with him playing all of a minute, I mean, really threw off rotations and kind of impacted the team. But if, if you know, the thing that really jumps out to me, um, if Marquette can make buckets and, and not... You know, if if they're going to give up a bunch of rebounds to Seton Hall, who's going to be running out, you know, going the other way, that puts a lot of pressure on Marquette's transition defense. So if Marquette can make buckets, I mean, the big thing that stands out to me, if you look at Kempom and, and select conference only, so basically it filters, which gives you, you know, roughly a seven-game sample set. The, the thing that is just the big shining red flag f for me is Seton Hall is turning over in conference play, turning the ball over 20% of the time. They are dead last in conference. And Marquette turns you over 23% of the time on defense, right? So if Marquette, like, if Marquette can, you know, make buckets, 
like they should be able to you know basically every fourth every fourth possession of Seton Hall should result in a turnover with Marquette going the other way and and live ball turnovers are going to be great I think the question to me is going to be the the thing I worry about is who guards Kaderi Richmond right like that would normally be a Chase Ross assignment in my mind because Kaderi Richmond though he's a essentially a point guard he's a 6'6 guard right um so so you know chase is probably normally the assignment i think he abused stevie in the first matchup um i'd like to see less stevie on Kaderi. not that stevie's not a good defender he's a great defender but Kaderi could just bully ball him um i do wonder if we'll see a lot of zade on Kaderi because again zade has both length and the chops as an on-ball defender i don't know what what do you think yeah, of i think all game i think zade will get a shot at him yeah, well, I, I think that's certainly worth a few possessions to see how it goes. And if he gets right. cooked, then way you adjust. But um, I, I definitely think that's worth a few possessions uh, or yeah, a few possessions to see how it goes. Um, you know, you mentioned the rebounding, and obviously that was a glaring thing in the first matchup. Seton Hall grabbed 50% of their misses. Right. They had 14 offensive rebounds. Marquette had 14 defensive rebounds. So Seton Hall grabbed half of their misses, and that was a huge, huge problem in that game. And now this is kind of jogging my memory as I remember that game. The way it started, I was thinking Marquette was going to blow past the 32 deflections number very quickly. Yep. And that almost always leads to a win. And I never saw a final total of deflections for that game, but I felt it had to be close, if not over 32, and they they still lost the game. But that goes back to your point about the turnovers. I think the same philosophy should work on defense again. Um, if they don't get a shot up, then they can't get an offensive rebound. So you just got to turn them over. And I think that's going to be the key. Because uh, uh, they had 20 tur- 22 turnovers in the last game. Marquette only had 10. So, yeah, I, I think that's going to be the most important aspect of the game is have the, that intensity up on defense. Uh, and I think you make a good point of seeing what Zade can do against Richmond. Maybe Stevie has a little better luck this time than he did last time. Um but yeah, Marquette was very active defensively, at least early in that game. And again, I think when they lost Chase, uh, it was just kind of gut punched them and to them, and uh, I think kind of stunned them for a good chunk of that game. And of course, that last game they had Sean as well, and there will be obviously right. no Sean in this game. So opportunities for Zade and Trey to step up in this game. They had a combined three minutes in the last matchup. I would guess that's going to be north of 15, maybe even touching 20 this time around. So we'll I would think see so. How it goes. Yeah, I, I would I would think between the two of them, um, I I think they'll they'll collect twenty minutes. Um, I guess now, do you see you know given what Zade's done, do you see any difference in rotation uh, approach? Right, because the between the two, Trey has been the first one off the bench, right um, throughout the season. Do you see? Uh, Zade being the first one off the bench in this game, or or is that is it just kind of? I wouldn't you know, hate it. I, I mean, either, but I, I just I, I don't know. I, if I think yeah. Shaka does it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think just be, I think maybe one reason Trey comes off the bench first is because he's a guard, and they got three guards out there. And if you want to give one of them a blow, you, you're sending the guard out there, the the guy who can handle the ball a little bit. Um, but uh, you know, I the thing is, Zade is just so versatile. I mean, you could put him in there at the three. Uh, he could play kind of uh, if you're going to maybe going a little bit smaller. He could scoot over to the four um, and and guard a bigger player. I think he's capable of that. So, um, but yeah, I think one reason you may see continue to see Trey coming off first is just because there's three guards out there, and if you want to give one of them a break, he's the guy you're probably going to put in the backcourt. But um, but I 
wouldn't be surprised if Zade does come off the bench first, and maybe they go a little bigger, um, put it by taking one of the three guards off the floor and putting Zade in there at the three. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. But we'll 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 see. I mean, this is not not that the Seton Hall game at home is a must win, um, but if you have any intentions of repeating as Big East champions in the regular season. Like, that's a win you got to have. You have to hold serve at home. And they already lost one yeah, I, against Butler. Yeah, I agree. And as I, you know, big picture, I've, uh, I'll always say there's no such thing as a must win uh, in, you know, in January or even February. The only must wins are really in March. But um, yeah, if you want to keep pace and have like a chance to be in the Big East title discussion, Big East top three, make sure, even just making sure you don't have to play the first day. Uh, at the Big East tournament, because there's quite a cluster there in the middle, and you don't want to fall in the back of the pack there. Um, so, I, I don't think Marquette's going to really fall that far back in the Big East, though. But um, yeah, you got to hold serve at home. They've lost one home game this year, and I would hope there was not going to be another one until maybe you get to that game against Connecticut, and we'll deal with that when we get there on March 6th. But yes, I agree with you. Uh, not a must-win in the true definition of the sense, but if you want to remain in the upper tier of the league, you mm-hmm. do need to beat a team like Seton Hall at home. Right, right. Yeah, and and I, I agree with you. And like the whole the whole must-win thing is reserved for like you know if if we were team bubble watch, right? And I'm not saying right. we can lose every game the rest of the season and and still make make the tournament, but you know we have a very strong resume. And as long as we, we remain somewhat competent, we will absolutely make the tournament. It's just a question of seeding. But again, if the point is we want to win the conference again, we have to start stacking wins um, because, you know, Connecticut has a significant lead. And it's not like their schedule is super easy, right? They go home for Xavier, home for Providence, away at St. John's, and then home for Butler, um, you know, over the next, well, I guess, uh, I mean, they've got a fair number of uh, gaps in there. So Butler's February 6th or whatever. So, so they've got some, some, some games ahead of them that they have to, to win as well. Um, but you know, we don't catch them if we don't win. So that's, that's, yeah, I don't s- think, yeah. Yeah. I can't care too much about what Connecticut is doing just cause they're so far ahead. Marquette just needs to take care of business in their own house. And if yeah, if you can put together a four, five, six game winning streak here, right? Then maybe we can look up in a couple weeks and see where we are. Right. Yeah. And and the point is like you can't count like you can't count on teams falling back to you, right? Like and and they're going to start losing. You got to go stack wins, and and that's where we are, right? Like hopefully the Butler Seton Hall road game were kind of the. The, the nadir of this this negative Marquette experience um, and and they're starting to put it together maybe all right they've seen three point shots go in against St. John's and to a certain extent against Villanova now we're going to start stacking you know better three point shooting um, you know they they rediscovered their love of of the rim you know so they're going to start attacking the rim more and more and more and get downhill Zades you know kind of stepping up and and taking minutes. So, so the potential is there for them to go stack wins. Um, they just, they just have to go do that, and it's got to start by by going two and zero this week. Which, I, you know, we haven't predicted it yet. I do think they go two and zero, 
Um, but Same. you know, but it's you know, it's not like it's gonna be easy. No, it never is. But uh, I, I, I uh, I'll take a comfortable win on Wednesday. Uh, Ken Palm has it at eighty-two sixty-five. I'll put it right around there. You know, I'll, I'll put it as you know fifteen plus point win on uh, Wednesday, um, and then uh, yeah, it, you might get a fight from Seton Hall. But I, I'm gonna hope for five, six point, six, seven point win on Saturday against uh, Seton Hall. Yeah, I, 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 I don't have any argument or anything different. I think I think it'll be a comfortable win against DePaul. And then, you know, I think there will be both testing and testy moments in that, that Seton Hall game. You know, who knows what yep. what Shaw does around. Really, really not a fan of that guy. Um, who knows what he does, you know, that they that stir up the Marquette folks. But, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that Marquette will will produce two solid wins this week. Yeah, and yeah, you can't put together a eight game winning streak until you get to three, which is Marquette Marquette's got two right now and hopefully gets to four by the end of the week and then you got a tough one at Nova. Uh, we'll talk about that one next week. Then you got the road trip to Georgetown should win that one. You got the return game uh, against St. John's. That's National Marquette Day on February 10th. Uh, then you've got Butler on the road, and then the big boys. Uh, that's the big one on February 17th at Connecticut. So we'll see how many wins Marquette can stack between now and that Connecticut game on the 17th, and we'll see if it even matters, right? In the you know in the grand picture of the Big East, it may be a huge game. It may just be, you know, we're playing the team that's going to win the league. We'll take our best shot at them. We'll right. see how it goes, but we'll deal with that a month from now. So I feel okay about where they are, uh, you know. You just hope for improvement, little steps each week. And um, I, I like – you had to love what you saw from the team this past week as far as development for the freshmen, especially Zade Lowry, and um, the commitment to the process on offense, getting to the basket, getting those easy twos, and hoping the threes come around, and they did eventually against St. John. So feeling better, a lot of work to do, but a lot of season to go. And I, I feel all right about the team, but we'll see what happens this week. Right. Yep, absolutely. I, I think – I think we're on the rise, but you know, this week will tell us how much we're on the rise. So I'm I'm excited for it. All right. As always, you can hit us up on Twitter with your feedback, X Twitter. Uh, I'm Joe McCann3. Phil is M O O O F23 at Crack Sidewalks is a team hit on go to cracksidewalks.com. We post the podcast there. You can leave comments on cracksidewalks.com. Always remember to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, rate, review, and subscribe. Phil, enjoy the week. Uh, we will talk to you uh, this time next week. And um, anything else to add? No, I, I think uh, let's let's see what this what this week has and go from there. All right, everybody have a great week. Talk to you next time. Till then, seashells and balloons.